The text for our sermon this morning comes from the gospel reading just read, and in particular, both Mary and Martha, who said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Falling at the feet of Jesus, we pray, and he hears us, and as Jesus promised Mary and Martha, he promises to you and me as well. Did I not tell you, you would see the glory of God? The gospel according to St. John, where our reading comes from this morning, has traditionally been understood to have a specific structure to it that the Holy Spirit guided John to write the gospel in such a way that it hangs on on six specific signs or miracles. There are six specific signs that John uses to teach us about who Jesus is, what he's come to do, and how people received him. Scholars generally accept that John uses these signs or miracles as as a sign of progress, or maybe the opposite of progress, that as the story leads to Jesus' top miracle, that of being raised from the dead, that the miracles or the signs of Jesus, as he goes along in his ministry, the resistance against Jesus grows. And so does the majesty of his miracles in answer to that. That six of these miracles or signs are divided up. Three of these signs are performed in Galilee. The turning of water into wine in chapter 2. The healing of the man's son in chapter 4. The feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6. Then the other three of the six signs that Jesus performs are done in Judea. He restores the sick at Bethsaida in chapter 5. He heals a man born blind that we just heard last week in chapter 9. And then this week, we hear the raising of Lazarus in chapter 11. These signs are considered to be in ascending relation to each other, meaning the one that happens next is greater than the previous one. And this is because, as we would think, people would be more thankful for Jesus and his miracles... Well, the opposition to Jesus grows with each miracle. But each of these miracles then displays Jesus' majesty even greater. The worse the persecution, the greater the miracle. But you know, if you think about it, Mary and Martha could care less about the structure of John's gospel. Their brother is dead. The sisters, though, they teach us something about Jesus. That he answers our prayers. He desires us to fall down at his feet and worship him. And he promises to us we will see the glory of God. First, we consider Martha. If you see in our reading, Martha hears that Jesus is coming and she goes to meet him. She runs to him. Martha desires nothing but to be with Jesus even though she's mourning terribly at the the sickness 
and everybody knows the death of Lazarus is looming, she knows where to go. Nothing will prevent her from being in the presence of Jesus. But yet there's also something very familiar about Martha's running to Jesus and her sorrow that I think we can all relate to. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. First, we might think that's awfully presumptuous of Martha. But it almost echoes Mary, the mother of Jesus, at Jesus' first sign in Cana. When Mary, the mother of our Lord, says, Son, they've run out of wine. Perhaps a little presumptuous? Jesus answers, my hour has not yet come. And yet, Jesus performed his miracle. Is Martha being presumptuous? Surely, there were other people who knew Jesus, who were friends with him and have died, but they weren't raised from the dead. What makes Lazarus special that both sisters think, Lord, if you had been here, you wouldn't have died? And I think this touches a little bit on this familiar part of Martha running to Jesus. For us to ask ourselves, what makes you and I so special that our Lord should hear our prayers? Nothing, really. But that's part of the nature, that's part of this reading and its purpose, not to teach us and to point us to the character of who Lazarus is, and in the end, really, who Mary and Martha is. But what is the character of Jesus and his love for us? Jesus doesn't bring up any of Martha's sins. He doesn't bring up any of Lazarus's past. But he hears Martha's prayer. There is no place that Martha would rather be than at the feet of Jesus. And that should be for us, too. But Martha's prayer request might be, may be a little presumptuous. She perhaps believes Jesus owes them something. That Jesus would have let others die, but surely he wouldn't have let our brother die. And that's how death hits us. This is kind of the familiar part of Martha's prayer to Jesus. I mean, really, if you think about it, we hear of murders, we hear of death, we hear of fatality accidents all the time on the news. I'd say maybe we're even prone to being a little numb to the news of death until when? Until it hits close to home. Surely, Jesus, you love us more than this. Surely, Jesus, this is some mistake. I just saw them. They were healthy. Even this week, as our family has had two friends in the last two weeks, mothers barely in their 40s, diagnosed with stage four cancer out of nowhere. Surely, Jesus, there must be some mistake. John even points out that Jesus loved the family it doesn't make sense. 
Jesus, if you were here, right? And what does that call into question? That's calling into question the identity of Jesus, if you were here. But as disappointed as Martha was, she knew where she needed to be. That's part of the point of our reading. She knew she needed to be where Jesus was. And so we we remember too that Jesus is not some far off God. That we could tell him, Jesus, if you were here, our world would be completely different. And in particular, my world, because this is just not right. But don't forget that Jesus is here. We remember where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Take and eat my body and blood given for you. Jesus is specific to tell us that he is with us. That he isn't some far off God that we can accuse and say, if you were here. No, the problem is with our point of view. Our lack of faith. But Martha teaches us an important lesson today. Let Martha be one of your teachers. Martha knew where to go when our lives are upside down. Not just when death hits close to home, but perhaps when death-deserving sin haunts you. When sins get the better of you. When disappointment or despair is creeping at your door. When the darkness, when it seems like it's encroaching, you should run to Jesus. Remember what Martha does. She runs to Jesus and she prays. And the faith of Martha, even in this time of confusion and disaster in her own life, listen to this prayer of trust. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She prays the identity of Jesus. She says, Jesus, you are God. Your will and God's will are one. Whatever you want, God does. Whatever God wants, you do. Martha prays Jesus' identity. And although she may doubt, although she expresses displeasure with God's will, she trusts. She prays prayers that confess death is not good. Death is an invader. Death is not natural, contrary to what everybody tries to tell us. Death, in fact, is the epitome of all that is unnatural in our world. Death tears away the body from the soul, that which God has put together. Death tears away husbands and wives, mothers and children, fathers and daughters. And to think that our sin causes it. Your sin. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus doesn't want to comfort Martha with saying, oh, death is just a part of life. Jesus doesn't want to comfort Martha with distracting her. But Jesus comforts Martha with his identity, who he is. 
Martha thinks later in the future she's going to be comforted in the resurrection. Jesus says it's not a time, it's not a date. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus has hope and help for her at the moment, at that time. It is his identity. Whoever believes in me, although he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus isn't just speaking about Lazarus, but he's talking to Martha too. Jesus is teaching Martha to believe that she too will live just as sure as Jesus is about to raise her brother, so also will he raise her and he will raise you. Jesus is not just asking Martha this question according to raising Lazarus at that moment. But Jesus has the whole picture of faith in mind for Martha and also for you and me. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, although he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Next, we see Mary, Lazarus's other sister. She has the same cry and prayer as Martha. Did you notice that? Both of them, almost verbatim. It's almost as if Mary and Martha, while all this is going on and Jesus isn't there, Mary and Martha perhaps are even gossiping. That as Jesus is away, they're seeing their brother die. You know, misery loves company. Martha, how about that Jesus? He's just not that great. Mary, yeah, I know. He doesn't even come back when our brother is sick. Man, if he had been here, and they probably at the same time together said, Jinx, if Jesus had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus is the problem. That Jesus just isn't good enough. If you had been here, our brother would not have died. But yet there's also a bit of faith to this prayer, just like Martha's. Mary knows where to go. Where does she go? She runs to Jesus, but Mary shows us worship. She bows down and places herself in the dust at Jesus' feet. But Jesus doesn't take his foot and put it on her head. Jesus doesn't rebuke her, but he suffers with her. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. This is why in the face of death, we as Christians gather together for funerals. This is why we come together to hear the word of God. Because when we come together, we know that Jesus suffers with us. Jesus does not enjoy our suffering. He is no spectator. Jesus is a God who cries with his people because he knows that the devil has brought death. Our sin has brought death and doubt. Jesus weeps with us, but not as a foe, not as a helpless friend. He takes sin and he takes our death when he goes to the cross as if it were his own. 
Jesus knows what is coming. He said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus also knows where to go. He goes to his father in prayer. Jesus goes to his father in prayer because he knows and he listens. Jesus desires to free, to free the world from sadness and death. Jesus goes to the Father and he frees Lazarus from death. Lazarus, come out, he says. He didn't ask Lazarus' opinion. (laughs) He didn't wait for Lazarus to get things figured out. In fact, he really didn't even wait for Mary and Martha to get a full grasp on the situation. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Jesus knows where to go to remedy sadness, sin, and death. He goes to the Father, and he uses the word of the Father. He uses his life-giving word. And Jesus still does this as he's being crucified on the cross. Jesus prays to the Father because Jesus knows he is showing them the glory of God when he's on the cross. Father, forgive them. That's the glory of God. That God forgives us death-deserving sinners. That Jesus, who has power over death, to him, death is like sleep. He can awake from death as he pleases. This one who raised Lazarus, who healed blindness, who turned water into wine, this one who turns plain water into a baptism of forgiveness, This one who fed 5,000 with two loaves, two fish and five loaves, he turns bread and wine into his body and blood as a drink of forgiveness. He heals spiritual blindness. He who has power over death submits himself to death that we would be free, free from the grip of death and sin. Jesus knows where where to go. He returns to the Father when he ascends to the right hand of God, and he frees all mankind from sin, even you. He pulls you from death's ugly grip. He rescues you from death's sadness. For now that Jesus has been raised from the dead, no longer does death have dominion. We are then led now to his greatest sign, his resurrection now, as Easter looms on the horizon. That this week and next week during Lent, we remember what our Lord has done. We spend time in his word. So learn from Mary and Martha, and for the matter of fact, learn from Lazarus. Learn who Jesus is. Let them be your teachers this week that Jesus cares for us. He mourns with us in a time of death and sadness and disappointment. Run to Jesus. Pray to him your cares because he hears them. Fall at his feet and worship him knowing that he is really here for he will raise you up. 
He's forgiven you all your sins so that even now as we mourn our sin, as we rejoice in our victories, if you stay in the faith, you will see the glory of God. Now may the peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.